Anyone remember, uh, anyone remember Howard Stern? He's probably still alive, I mean, remember. He was what you call a shock jock, right? He was foul, offensive, horrendously foul, but he did it to get attention and to get people to listen to him. There's such a thing called shock preachers, too. I was watching one recently on YouTube. This guy who is just a foul, despicable human being who calls himself a pastor and leads a congregation in Arizona and talks about homosexuals being set on fire and all kinds of stuff. He's a disgrace. And he's what you call a shock pastor. There are those. They say things to get attention. So for a split second, I thought last week, I thought I should open this message by saying this, and therefore I'm going to. I don't say things for shock value, and I certainly don't say things to make you mad. Jesus is not the name above all names, though, is sort of a shock statement, okay? I didn't mean it that way. But I wouldn't say it to make you mad, but I would say it to make you think. And I would say it to challenge you. And someone would say to me, have you read the Bible, Mr. Mr. Whoever you are? I have read it. Well, Philippians 2 says, Becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross, for this reason God highly exalted him, and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. That's pretty straightforward. Well, it seems to be. It does. But as I said, I will stretch you. I will stretch you from a position of theological comfort that you've held all your life. That's the world we live in. That is what shalom making is, actually, on some, some days. It's about being stretched. It's, a, it's about, and so is the, the like, legitimately authentic world of Messianic Judaism. It's about unsettling you from well-established theological positions that might distract you from seeing the full goodness and plan of God and the authentic, singular majesty of the Messiah of the universe. We wrestle with what has always been assumed because in that tension, sometimes there's new revelation. And the truth is this, in the big picture, there's probably really nothing wrong with just thinking that Jesus is the name above all names. It's a sweet and neat concept, you know, exalted to the right hand, a recognition of his gift to us. But we're going to look at this Jewishly, if you'll allow me today. And how, how the old might connect to the new, as they love to say, the old, passing away, obsolete, old testament might connect to the new. So God gave the world chances, right? Gave us chances and we failed. And we've talked about that a lot, actually, in the last two weeks. But here's how it goes from there in a lot of thinking. So we failed. God came in human body and did the work himself. And so everything before that, from that moment, everything before it became irrelevant. 
Judaism, the Jewish people, the, the temple, Israel, the relationships, the covenants, a totally new thing, a new religion was created at that point, and Jesus rules over it. And consequently, though, everything that came after that point is something different. It's no longer what it was. We don't look back. We don't observe silly laws about how we eat, how we dress, what days we honor, what holidays we celebrate. We don't do that. God, as Jesus, came and delivered us from that. And ultimately, we receive our personal salvation in Jesus and we go to heaven. Confess the name Jesus. That's the key. Jesus, God, it's all sort of the same thing. And we have this thing called the Trinity, which, by the way, was sort of arrived at through much argument, conflict, and silencing of opposition, sometimes by death. We have this thing called the Trinity, but no one really understands that and how all that works. So the bottom line is God came to earth, called himself Jesus, gave, him the na gave himself the name above all names. And that's the story we're sticking to. And everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's Jesus, because that's in Romans, right? Now, that's a very coarse explanation. I mean, no disrespect to thousands, maybe millions of invested souls who have, who, who have come up with ideas, pondered these mysteries, come up with some theories and theologies. But casual presentation aside, I'm not very far off in what I said in terms of what the entire world of disciples believes. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And if I hadn't made everyone mad by now, someone's at least struggling with what I'm talking about. It's all about Jesus, and after all, why wouldn't it be? He's been given the name above every name. He's superseded everything that was. And that's the story. And yet, we consistently see Yeshua pointing back to the Father. Teaching disciples to pray to the Father saying that he says or does nothing apart from the Father, seeing him praying to the Father. And there is not one place where Yeshua exalts himself, or for that matter, is exalted higher than the Father. Now, is there, there is a time when he says, pray in my name. And you know what follows right after when he says that? that the Father may be glorified in the Son, John 14. So pause with me just a second. I understand John, speaking of John, it's a pretty esoteric book, but let's look at these things. John 16, I have come in my Father's name. John 17, I've made known to them your name, Yeshua says, when praying to God, I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known to make your name known. What does that mean? 
particularly given the subject matter that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. I have come in my Father's name. What does that mean? It might help us to understand what the Father's name is, first of all. And secondly, to answer that great Shakespearean question, what's in a name? So first off then, if Yeshua came in his father's name, what is his name? And that's sort of what we've been talking about. I hope by now you've picked up at least a couple of them. We talked about Hashem, his sacred name. The God of mercy, the letters yud Hey vav Hey, the Tetragrammaton, the unspoken holiest name of God. We talked about Elohim, the God of justice. We've seen those names used independently based on the context. Elohim created the world in Genesis 1. Elohim inscribed the tablets of God in Exodus. And Hashem, true to the name, offered the mercy and forgiveness that came after these horrendous falls. Now, there are other names of God. El, Shaddai, Tzivaot is a name that's looked at in Judaism. But these two, Hashem, Elohim, we've even seen them used together often in the Bible. Hashem, Elohim said this. Moses asked this question at the burning bush. Who should I say that you are? He's like, Okay, you want me to go do these crazy things in Egypt? Who am I supposed to say sent me? And God responds, I am has sent me to you. And if I was Moses, I'd be like, that's not going to help. <laughs> I am has sent me to you. But he expands. God says, listen, Exodus 3. And God, Elohim, and Elohim said moreover unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, Hashem Elohei Avotechem, the Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, we just said it, Elohei Avraham, Elohei Yitzhak, Elohei Yaakov. Hashem, the sacred name coupled with Elohim, he expands further. After the calf. So Elohim inscribes the tablets, they fall, and after the calf, Moses goes before God to appeal, to beg for mercy. And what does God reveal his name to be? Moses says, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send. Moreover, you've said to me, Moses, I know you, I know you by name. And you found favor in my sight. Now then, if I have found favor in your sight, Moses says to him, please let me know your ways that I may know you. In order that I might find favor in your sight. He says, Moses, to God, you haven't let me know whom you're going to send. Who's, who's going with us? Which is much more than, hey, what's your name? Who's going with us? It's much more than a name and a proper noun. And then he says this all-important Jewish concept related to names. Please, please let me know your ways so that I may know you. And that's a very telling detail. What does your name mean? In Judaism, there's a big, big picture of what your name means. It defines you. 
It is your essence. It is your attributes. It is your reputation. It is everything. And that's why we read in some of the things we've talked about how Hashem can be equated with mercy and Elohim can be equated with justice. A name defines you. I know Kelly's name. I could call her from across the room, Kelly, and she would respond. But that doesn't define anything about who she is. I know her. I know her. I know her essence, what makes her who she is, how she loves, how she cares, her passion for life, her commitment to Hashem and seeking Him, to loving and caring for people. I can't know that from her name. There's, there's millions of Kellys in the world. There's two Kellys in the front, two rows. But there is no other Kelly. And without knowing her essence and her attributes, you cannot know her. But back to Exodus. God answers Moses' question, and Shakespeare's for that matter. What's in a name? What's in your name? Exodus 33, he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim what? The name of the Lord before you. And listen to this. You've heard it. You've heard it a bunch of times. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. That's Moses calling upon the name of the Lord. What do you think he was saying? You think he was calling out his, his sacred name? You think that's what he was doing? Moses is there saying, reveal yourself to me. Show me your glory. Let me know you. And God answers with this. Adonai, Adonai, El Rachum Vichanun, El Rachum Vichanun. He didn't sing it. He didn't have to. He was God. That's what we say when we say these words. The Lord, the Lord, God, compassionate and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in faithfulness and truth, who keeps faithfulness for thousands, who forgives wrongdoing, violation of his law and sin. That's his name that he revealed to Moses. And yet, he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. What is that? That is Hashem Elohim, the God of mercy and the God of justice. That is his name. There we find it once again. Moses, I am mercy, compassion, slow to anger, and yet I cannot leave it unpunished when injustice occurs. I am justice. That is who I am, Moses. And by knowing what I am, you know who I am. So fast forward. I have come in my Father's name. Remember who said that? I just told you at the beginning, Yeshua said that in John. I have come in my Father's name. What does that mean? 
It means that everything his name represents, I represent, and I have come in the name of mercy and justice. I have come filled with the essence of my Father in the name of Hashem Elohim to demonstrate the perfection, the goodness, and the mercy, and the justice and righteousness of God. Now remember Philippians 2, by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross, for this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. That means what it's saying is by your obedience to the cross, to mercy and justice, by being faithful to the mission. And he had a choice. Don't ever forget that. It ruins the story and the power. He had a choice. But because you have made the choice, I have given you I have given you the name above all names. I have given you my name. Do you understand the significance of what I just said? You represent me. And Yeshua confirms this. I have come in my Father's name. I have come to bring mercy and justice to the world. I say nothing. I do nothing apart from what my Father says and does. Hashem Elohim, mercy and justice, has given him his name. So they are one. They are one, and yet there is a tension we must wrestle with. And this is where it gets very uncomfortable for Christianity. You must understand oneness is not sameness. I have given my son, Zachary, our name. My dad gave me our name. My son, I expect him to live up to that name. I expect him to represent it with honor and decency, love and compassion, service as a good husband, as a good father. And he has and he does. But he is not me. And yet I can say, this is my son in whom I am very well pleased. He represents me. He has my name. Does that sound familiar? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. Have you heard that before? Philippians says, I've given you the name above all names, my son. By being obedient to death on a cross, for this reason, I've given you the name which is above every name. There is only one name above every name. I did a search for famous Jesuses. There's a lot of them. Most of them play soccer in Latin countries. <laughs> there are Yeshua's in the Bible, Yehoshua's in the Bible. There's a lot. But only one who bears the name above every name. 
But it says at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. At the name of Jesus, will you miss the picture? You miss the big, huge God picture. It's not that literal. It doesn't have to be that literal. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. Every knee. Listen to this. Of though every knee will bow of those who are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth. Do you know what that is? That is the angelic host. That is those who are alive. That is those who are dead. That is everybody is going to bow every knee. Every knee. Do you know when that is? When he returns and he carries with him the name above every name. The essence and the power of God, the logos, which John talks about, the essence of God that was, that was given to him. He represents God. He has come in the Father's name. That's what that means. Which helps us understand another very, very confusing, confusing Christian theological concept in Colossians 2. For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Do you know what that's saying? In a Jewish sense of a name, it's saying God has placed within him his essence. Because he merited to receive it. And in him... In him, in his abundance of righteous merit, we can partake of it. All of those attributes that were revealed to Moses, Yeshua has amplified, exemplified to perfection. And because of his work on the cross, which we know represents mercy, but it also represents what? Justice in ways that you haven't thought of. If God allows me, I'll do that next week. This has been an incredibly difficult thing because it's really, really challenging and offensive to a lot of people. But I know it's worth it. God's written his very name upon him. Thus, when the world sees him, when the world sees him, who do they see? The Father. I didn't make it up. It's not a mystery. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. Who's he talking to? He's talking to Philip who said, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And Yeshua said to him, have I been with you for so long a time, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? The one who sees me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? What is the name above all names? Well, that depends on who you ask. We know how and why most of Western Christianity would answer that question, but if you ask Yeshua, the answer is pretty clear. You want to know Yeshua's answer? I can't speak exactly for him. I can only speak based on the words he wrote down and the things he said. Yeshua never would have presumed to see his name exalted above the Father, ever. He would have corrected that. Do you know that? He would have corrected it and said, no, when you see me, you see the Father. I have come in his name. I've made known to them 
His name, and I will keep making His name known to them. He said that in John 17. But if you're someone who sees the connection from old to new, from, from the garden to the, to the calf to the cross, it's very clear. Yeshua is not the change of plans. He's the culmination of plans. Hashem, the God of mercy, who has desired that we be in relationship with him from the beginning of the universe, always had a plan, and he always had his man. You with me? Don't go to sleep, because it's going to get good as we go out. The first one was Moses. Well, not really. Adam was the first one, but that didn't last very long. So then Moses comes along. Moses saved an entire people from destruction. You, you, you believe that, right? You should believe it. It's in the Torah. Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, lead these people, but you haven't let me know who's going. Let me know you. Let me know you. Teach me your ways. And remember that this nation is your people. He reminds God because God was angry and he reminds them, uh, by the way, before you like lightning bolt us, Remember, this nation is your people. And that's actually a justice connector right there. The Lord replied, my presence will go with you. I'll give you rest. And Moses said, if your presence doesn't go, do not send us from here. How will anyone know, you, how will anyone know you're pleased with us unless you go? What else will distinguish me and the people from all other people on the face of the earth? And here's what God said. It's really, really important. I will do the very thing you've asked because I'm pleased with you. And I know you by name. What does that mean? I know Moses' name. Do you know Moses' name? Moshe in Hebrew. Moshe, if you want to say it like an uh, Ashkenaz. God knows Moses' proper name. That's not what that means. He knew what Moses would do. He knew Moses would be for his glory, for God's glory. He knew he would go for the people. He knew Moses' essence, his goodness. God gave, do you know, Moses was filled with the Holy Spirit? Sure he was, November, November. Numbers. <laughs> I was thinking the 11th month, it's Numbers 11. Numbers 11. So much of the Holy Spirit that he could just... Dish it out to 70 elders. Remember that? Moses, filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, or the Ruach Elohim. And yet, and yet, Moses fell too. And as hard as that story is to read every year when we come to it, struck a rock twice, did everything he did, lived as he did, led as he did, struck a rock twice and he can't go into the promised land. As hard as that story is to read and understand, it was actually about not submitting to the Father. And he fell in that he was not ultimately the son in whom God was well pleased. He was pleased with him, but not on that level. That honor would come through the second and final redeemer, the one who would demonstrate perfect obedience. Listen to what he did. By demonstrating perfect, to the, by dem, becoming obedient to the point of death, death on a cross, right? Hebrews 5, 7, listen to this. 
During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of reverent submission. That does not, I'm sorry, does not sound like God in a man suit to me. There is a great fear among Christian thinking that even things I'm talking about, thinking about, much less talking about, are a total and absolute dangerous heresy. I got news for you. It is exactly and 180% opposite of that. This is the exaltation of Yeshua to his rightful place as the bearer of the name above every name. Verse 8 in Hebrews continues, Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered, and once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Philippians 2 says it this way, Again, by now you've gotten this. For this reason, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name above every name. What reason? What reason? What did he do? If God just showed up and did it himself, he didn't do much. Obedience, suffering, learning, adoration, love of the Father, tempted in all things, Hebrew says, yet perfect, acting in mercy and justice, making the Father proud. And therefore, for this reason, Philippians says, God gave him the name above every name. Father to Son. Because Yeshua, like my son, represents the Father. His mercy and his justice. He who has seen me has seen the Father. But there's power in Jesus' name. Of course there is. Of course there is. Not as a proper noun. And not as some type of magic incantation or formulaic ticket to heaven. That's not where the power is. We can't let ancient ideas and confusions about who and what Yeshua is put him on a pedestal to which he himself would never ascend. I know there's a lot packed into that. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered and once made perfect. Power in his name, of course. But the name above all names, it belongs to his Father in heaven. And he knows that. And yet, for not even the Father judges anyone, anyone, He's given all judgment to the Son, so that all will honor the Son as they honor the Father. The one who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who hears my word, Yeshua talking, the one who hears my word and believes the one who sent me 
has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. I have come in my Father's name because he has given it to me to demonstrate his goodness and justice, to provide mercy, and to execute judgment as the Father empowered him to do. It's so very, very, very connected to the first Redeemer, Moshe, he revealed his name. Moses interceded for the people. He saved them by appealing to God's name in mercy. To the final Redeemer, he interceded for the entire world through his obedience, suffering, and, 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 and faithfulness, and righteousness. And God gave him his name. No one can see me, God says to Moses. But Yeshua says, the one who has seen me has seen the Father. Now this results in a lot of theological confusion through 2,000 years of Christian theology. The incomprehensible God is known through Christ by faith rather than by philosophical speculations. He manifests God to us, being the expression of his very being, and through him alone, God can be known. Do you know who said that? I should have put it up there. A guy named Michael Servetus said that. You know who Michael Servetus is? He was the son of conversos, Spanish Jews, Christian, 16th century. John Calvin burned him at the stake because he didn't subscribe to the Trinitarian theories and speculations about who Jesus was. And he wrote boldly, and I think correctly, in a number of things, and yet he was burned alive as a heretic. Michael Servetus, you should read. I think he was, I think he was on to something. Good thing John Calvin's not here. Paul makes a brilliant conclusion for today's message in Romans. Romans 10. I started with it. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And of course, if you're only reading one testament, it's Jesus. And it actually is applicable to Yeshua. But do you know where that comes from? All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Do you know where that comes from? The old. Joel 2.32. The revelation that the apostles received in the book of Acts where they said, this is happening before our eyes. I will display wonders in the sky and on the earth, blood, fire, columns of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it will come about that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Joel didn't know anything about Christian theology, neither did Paul, for that matter. He'd be surprised. There's only one reconciliation to that conundrum. Who do we call on? We call on the name above all names. They are inseparably connected. While remaining 
biblically, Jewishly, monotheistically unique. What's in a name? A lot. A lot. And Yeshua merited to receive the name above all. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels to the extent that he has inherited a more excellent name than they. And after today, I hope we have a better understanding of what that is and what that actually means. Shabbat Shalom.